either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Another week that's sort of pop-heavy. we got two big national releases and then a few smaller movies to talk about this week. Put some good stuff in here. Welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. We'll start off with the latest from Pixar. It's set in a suburban fantasy world as two teenage elf brothers embark on a quest to discover if there's still magic out there. It's called Onward. In times of old, the world was full of wonder and magic. I have a gift from your dad. He just said to give you this when you were both over 16. (gasps) No way! It's a wizard staff. Dad was a wizard. What? Your dad was an accountant. This spell brings him back. For one whole day, Dad will be back. What? Back? Like back to life? That's not possible. It is with this. I'm going to meet Dad. Well, if you're like us, you hear Pixar and you think, okay, pretty much in right there because mm-hmm. you look at their track record and it's pretty solid. Oh I my mean, God, yes. Especially you talk about Top Heavy. I mean, their highs are so high yeah. with the animated films and the whole animated genre. They mm-hmm. have just, I think, in the last however long they've been around now, have just reset everything and what is possible yeah. to accomplish with animated films. And uh, they've also had some clunkers. Too. Very few, honestly. Right, very few, and I think this one lands somewhere in between. It's certainly not up there with the highest of the highs, but uh, it's not one of their worst either. It's sort of just in the middle of the road, a fine family animated film that is not going to you know, set every, below anybody's hair back. Right. One of the things, so it's it's written and directed by Dan Scanlon, who has been part of the Pixar creative team on some of their great, great films, but the only other film that he's written and directed was... Monsters University, which was the sequel to Monsters, Inc., mm-hmm. and was not very good. Yeah. It was not very good. It didn't look very interesting. The story was derivative, and it just wasn't particularly memorable. Just one of those, I'm kind of surprised it didn't go direct to DVD, animated sequels. I don't think he gets that much higher, to be honest with you, with Onward. It's not a sequel of any kind. It's just Pretty familiar. Yeah, it's weird because it is original in the fact that it's not a sequel or any part of another franchise, but it does seem very pieced together by other ideas from other movies and sometimes other scenes from other movies. I mean, there's a point at which homage and kind of wink, wink, we're having fun calling back to this steps over the line to become, wow, this is just borrowing a lot yes. from these other... And I think there are times in this movie where they do step over that yeah. line. Uh, but there's still, there's some fun to be had. There's some great voice cast. You've got the two brothers. The older brother is uh, voiced by Chris Pratt, and then the younger brother is Tom Holland. And 
The older one is very much into the the wizards and warriors type of lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why the movie is called Onward, because he's got in his car his beat-up van that he drives around. He is With a big Pegasus. Uh, it's purple. Yeah. It's got a big Pegasus <laughs> yeah. spray-painted on the side. Yeah, instead of putting it into D for drive, he has taped over and puts an O for Onward yeah. when he moves forward. He's, not, he's moving onward. So everything is about that those types of medieval quests and yeah. things like that. So... And then when Tom Holland's character reaches his 16th birthday, he gets a present from his deceased father that has been kind of in been held until he turns 16, uh, his step into adulthood. And it's this magic stick. It's not a wand, really. It's a stick. It's a staff. A staff. It's yeah. a staff. And <laughs> I think the whole film, like the, the, the bigger theme is, you know, find magic, embrace magic in your daily life. And, and they make some good points about that, particularly when they go to what used to be an actual lair. And it's now like a medieval diner kind of a place. And yeah. that's a pretty funny bit. And there are a lot of funny bits and there are feral unicorns just here and there. <laughs> and there are some funny bits, but the the story itself is really about these brothers and their relationship, how they see each other and sort of this quest to know their dad. I mean, well, it was... There's always a, a missing parent. Yes. And of course there is one in here. And that's the part of the quest they're trying to do with this staff. They can bring back, because the younger brother has never met his Father, he passed away while well, he, he was pregnant. He was just yeah, uh, so he's never met him. And uh, with this magic staff, they can conjure up a spell to bring him back for one day. So right there, I'm thinking that AI. Remember that AI movie? Yeah. Anyway, so they can bring him back for one day, and they get almost get there. They bring his his bottom half back, uh, and then the spell cuts out, and they want to need to get his torso, get the rest of him back. But for that, they need this special gem, this stone. So that becomes, that's their quest. That's their quest. They have to go out and find this stone before the day runs out because they only get him for 24 hours. So they have attempt to bring the, the touchy-feelies in there, the family stuff, which the best of Pixar always does. Yeah. They find a way to transcend yeah. and, and, and speak to not just the kids, but speak to the adults as right. well. And it... It doesn't do it as well. It's no. not It's not a total failure at it, but it doesn't no. do it as well. No, it doesn't. And the road trip, it's a road trip film, mm-hmm. really. And uh, not that they go all that far. They never leave town. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, they're, you they know, sort of move through levels almost exactly, like a video that, game. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, or a quest mm-hmm. like a Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. I mean, it's very much there's some tongue in cheek fun had at, sort of poking fun at and at the same time kind of embracing that sort of Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. you know, uh, nerd sort of <laughs> culture. Nerdery. You know, and, and I think it's not it's not laughing at as much as laughing with it's clear that it's clear the film is a part of that and and is sort of you know making some jokes at it but still sort of going but it's cool admit it you Uh know and there are times where i think that works really well Uh, a lot of the there are a lot of some some well-placed understated sight gags that i appreciated and i thought that pratt did a good job of playing the the just embarrassing older brother (laughs) tom holland is a great choice for voice work he's 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 done a good job and then you also have julia louis dreyfus and octavia spencer yeah julia louis dreyfus is their mother Mm -hmm. and then octavia spencer is the manticore the manticore who has to discover her magic that she has kind of put on the shelf Mm -hmm. rediscover Mm -hmm. which is another theme uh, with this movie as well but you'll recognize scenes straight out of raiders of the lost oh my god callbacks to Guardians of the Galaxy with Chris oh, yeah. Pratt's little, own. A little too on the nose, I thought. Yeah, see, that's the thing. All manner of Lord of the Rings. Yes, yeah, some Harry, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Yeah, so even though it is it is an original film, it does feel strangely 
derive from other yeah. narratives. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what, what, what holds back its, pardon the pun, magic, its I, own magic. And I also just don't think that it boasts the same sort of visual wonder it doesn't that's and the you thing. know and i feel like a movie that's yeah. it's all about magic it should have look this what i think the film sorely lacks is magic and, and especially with pixar because you have come yes. to we, we always bring this up every time it's a pixar movie they're sort of a victim of their own standards yeah. and when it the does, bar is so high it is so high but you're right you expect it at least this is going to look glorious and it really no. doesn't you're right no i mean i do think that that it's a fine movie it is. it's perfectly serviceable i think that you know i think the adults are going to maybe more, get more of a little sniffle from the adults than you're going to get from the kids but i, I mean I think it's perfectly fine. It's just as a Pixar film, it's 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 just disappointing. Right. It just is. It, it is. It'll be a fine family film, but not not anything that's going to be that memorable. Right. Especially when you consider that it's part of the Pixar canon, and that is onward. Next is the latest Jane Austen adaptation. In 1800s England, a well-meaning but selfish young woman meddles in the love lives of her friends. It's called Clueless. It's called Emma. Emma. Mr. Knightley. This is your doing. She is the natural daughter of nobody knows. Sorry, Mr. Gentleman. Upon my word. You should not make matches. Whatever you say always comes to pass. Mr. Elton, Miss Harriet Smith. He is in love with you. Who can think of Miss Smith when Miss Woodhouse is near? Mr. Elton! I didn't realize how many people either never knew or had forgotten that Clueless is just based on Emma. Yeah. Um, I guess, it, well, because Clueless now has been quite a few years. Well, yes, it has been. Quite a been. few years yes. ago. Yes. So uh, I think a lot of people are surprised by that. But yeah. it basically is the same story, a lot of the same character names as well, uh, about this matchmaker who learns the consequences of her meddling and then, of course, possibly finds love of her own. Right, right, right. And uh, Emma, this time, is played by Anya Taylor-Joy from The Witch, who we love. Yes. And if you never realized it before, you'll be doubly reminded that she has the biggest eyes ever. (laughs) Um, I mean, these eyes, they're so expressive and so big they are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she can use that quite well. But I don't know if I've ever... This movie, I think, more than any other, just calls attention to it. Maybe maybe it was just the way that it's shot or the way that it's framed or that I haven't seen her uh, for a while. But I just thought, wow, those those eyes are I don't really know. big. I mean, I've never not noticed it. From The Witch, I remember thinking, like, yeah. I don't know where you found this girl, but her <laughs> eyes are amazing. I mean, she's just... And, and, and she's also very good. She's very... She's good in everything. She really, she really is. Really is. She and she's really very is. good in this. And, um, and I think that... That that's important because uh, Jane Austen, you know, I mean, Emma, I think, is one of the, the least frequently remade Jane Austen film. They did it a few years after Clueless with Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, it has been done, but it's it's not been done to death. It's, for example, Pride and Prejudice has been. So it's not, it doesn't it feels a little bit um, fresher, I suppose. And also for Jane Austen, it's it's I mean, it's an outright comedy there. And, and that's certainly how this this one is treated. It's it's funny. Um, it's light, you know, and it's enjoyable, and it's very clever. It's very handsome. It's very rich, just it is. like Emma herself. It is, and the uh, she's great. And I feel like the whole cast is very, very solid. Bill Nye, in particular, yeah. is a joy. Yeah, she play. Uh, Bill Nye plays her father, and he doesn't 
have a lot of lines. He gets a lot in with his looks, yes. the way he's just sort of bemused and exasperated and other times just totally uninterested. He's always worried about a draft in the house, yes, constantly. which is very funny. It is funny. But yeah, he's great, and you're going to see a lot of people, if you're anything like us, you're going to see a lot of faces in this movie where you'll go, I know that person. Right, right. Where do I know them from? <laughs> and then you'll look them up, and you think, well, maybe not. I didn't know them as much as I thought I did, but it, you'll probably have seen them along the way somewhere. And it's an ensemble cast that is it's really solid uh, from from top to bottom, even down to some of the smaller some of the smaller roles that flesh out the uh, flesh out all the characters. But it's the feature debut. The director is Autumn DeWilde. Mm-hmm. I believe I got that right. The feature debut. And it is. It, it looks fantastic. Boy, some of the landscapes. Oh, my God. Like, gorgeous. Wow. And also, one of the things that you pointed out while we were watching it is the very savvy way she uses close-up. You know, you, you're you at sort of a, a medium-distant uh, shot most of the time, which partly allows you to just take in how gorgeous these settings are, how gorgeous the clothing is, you know, the beautiful set decoration. But then when she does give you a close-up of a hand or a waist or a, you know, a, a glance, it, 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 has, it carries so much more import. She does a really great job, I think, um, with the detail uh, in her direction. I also thought... Johnny Flynn, who plays Knightley, I thought he was great, just great. Um, and I was happy to see him again. And it took me a minute because the last thing I saw him in, which I loved, Beast. Yeah. But the ca- character could not be more different. And so <laughs> it did take me a while to figure out what was him. But he was great. Also, and he has great chemistry with uh, Taylor Joy. Yeah, he does. And I want to give also a nod to David Schweitzer and Isabel Waller-Bridge, the score of this yes. movie really adds a lot to it with the strings and they're jumping around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't, I want to, I, I don't want to say it sounds like a, a comical score, but it's so whimsical yeah. and lighthearted and it goes around perfectly to the mood of the film. Yes. Um, I think so. I, I also enjoyed the score and enjoyed the look of it. And it is very, the humor, it, to me, it was more dryly amusing yeah. than, let's say, there was a few years ago they did a... Uh, Whit Stillman, I know you're going to say Love and Friendship. Whit Stillman God, that did movie was Love great. and Friendship with Kate Beckinsale. And if you want to see a flat-out hilarious Jane Austen adaptation, that thing is funny from start to finish. You know, and, and I'll probably get skewered for saying this, but that's my favorite Jane Austen adaptation great. ever. Because, you know, he just, Whit Stillman found, uh, the cast is brilliant, uh, Kate Beckinsale is glorious, the whole cast is brilliant, but he just, it's its this merciless comedy mm. in the way that you never realized Austin could be retold. And yeah. that, and the, and you'd, I think films rarely mine her work for the wit that's really there. And uh, so this, uh, so for me, almost everything pales by comparison, <laughs> that, you know, because I but love this, Love and Friendship yeah, so much. I did too. And this is certainly not that funny. But it's got that real British dry yeah. barb kind of yeah. kind of humor to it, which is still very effective. It's just not a laugh riot yeah. like like that one was. But yeah, I think this is solid. Um, I know a lot of people, depending on how you feel about the Jane Austen, you you right away maybe think, oh, it's the stuffy period piece. Definitely not. It's not. No, not it, at all. it's really not. I think it's extremely enjoyable, and it's not a laugh riot. But I I, I think it's definitely worth worth checking out. Yes. We enjoyed Emma. Next up is one of our favorite films from last year, finally getting a wider release uh, this year on an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century. A female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. It's called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. 
j'ai un nouveau sentiment. Le regret. Quel en est le titre Portrait de la jeune fille en feu. We've been waiting, what, four months to talk about this movie? <laughs> it's been, it has been quite a while. Oh, my God. We saw it at the end of last year to get in with our 2020 or 2019 uh, award nominations. Yep. And it made the cut for a lot of them, specifically, well, off the top of my head, cinematography. Glorious. Couldn't believe this was not nominated for an Oscar for cinematography. Well, it, was so, it wasn't nominated for foreign language, which is... amazing, uh, too. I'm aghast at that idea. I mean, it does, I think, speak to the bumper crop of international titles for last year, but the, uh, the fact that this didn't get a nomination is just slays me. It's such an incredible, near-perfect movie. It's such an effective story, and more than that, it's such an effective piece of storytelling. Yes, it is. As this this artist, this young woman, is brought to this... It's an island, really. Yeah. Summoned to this island off the coast of England to paint the wedding portrait of Heloise, who won't sit for a painter because she's not voluntarily marrying anyone. And so her mother, who's played by Valeria Galino, has to trick her by suggesting that this that this visitor is actually just a companion that mm-hmm. she's she's brought over to keep her daughter company while she's away and which is one of the reasons why the painter is a female so what she's asking her to do the, the painter is named Marianne and what she's asking Marianne to do is spend time with Heloise and then go off by herself and paint her from memory right so that Heloise doesn't know she's being painted, right. which, wow, that'd be hard. Yeah. Okay. But then things take a turn as the two spend more time together, and you suddenly realize that, no, uh, Heloise says, no, I will let her paint me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, there are so many things. In a, in a pretty sparsely plotted film, so many things writer-director Celine Shiyama is developing, mm-hmm. you know, because... First of all, it's it's a romance. It will eventually become a very important romance and probably the most important relationship either of these women have in their lives. And that's the core story. But it's also a story told, it's almost like, so they're on this isolated island, and while there is a man who looms heavily over everything that happens, there aren't any men there. Yeah. There are no men in this story. So right. it's also sort of an environment of, what happens? What could happen? What could we possibly accomplish? How would life, what would life be like if there weren't any men around to meddle? So that's another sort of fascinating thing that they don't really beat you about the head with. It's just what's going on. But I think the real thing the story is is focused on is which is sort of better and more perfect, reality or your memory of it. That, to me, I think is the most poignant thing and maybe the hardest concept to to execute that they do beautifully with this film. Yeah, and it's it's romantic, it's emotional, it's subtle. Yep. I love the subtlety of it and it speaks it speaks to issues both simple and widely universal. Yeah. You could you could think about this movie really for days. You could oh, you yeah. could just take it on surface level and that's fine. It's a romance. Or you could just think more about it, especially the ending. And really dissect it. And, of course, we don't want to give away too much, but it's it's made with deep, deep feeling and yeah. a, a real hand for restraint. Because if you pushed this too hard, it would I think it would topple. It would just topple. But it's so intimate. The performances are so letter perfect. Oh, they are. The way it's shot, the way it's built. Um, I, and I agree with you about this, this man who is only spoken of. Yeah. 
uh, who looms over everything mm-hmm. because uh, this woman is promised to him, promised to him, and she realizes because of her situation mm-hmm. and the times that she doesn't have a choice no, in this matter. No. But these women are going to cherish the time they have together, and it's 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 beautifully done all the way around. Yeah, oh my I, God, I'm it like is. you, I was shocked. It wasn't nominated for Best Foreign Language Film, or I'm sorry, Best International Film is what right. they call it now. But uh, yeah, it's it's one that hopefully, if it's in your area, even though it's technically a 2019 film, seek it out. Yeah, because it is getting a, a wide release this week. So here in town in Columbus, it is, it's at like art house films, but it's also at, at all of the multiplexes, all the AMCs, all the Marcuses. And I can't tell you how beautiful this cinematography is. And try to see it on a big screen if yes, you can. Yes, yes, you really should. And I, Shyama, you liked, uh, I didn't see Girlhood. it. Girlhood. Girlhood, yeah. Oh, my God. And it's just so funny to me. It just shows to me how, and she's, I mean, she she's never made a movie that isn't spectacular. But to be able to go from Girlhood, which is so intimate, but so vibrantly of the moment, mm-hmm. to be able to make from that transi- transition into such a beautifully, thoroughly depicted period piece like this. So couldn't be more different. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm stunned by her varying abilities of storyteller. And it's a really interesting bookend to come out the same week as Emma. Right. Because you've got these two costume dramas yeah. that deal with love and romance and, and a woman's place in a different time yeah. in, in two totally different ways. And both are effective. Yes. I think this one is more effective. Oh my God! Yes, and more long-lasting. Like I said, this this movie will stick with you. But they're they're interesting bookends mm-hmm. uh, on a theme. So yeah, if you can find it, and it's a very good point on the big screen because yes. you don't think about these really like three people mainly in the cast, yeah. mainly two, but the mom is in there too. Oh, the, the, the these, Sophie, yeah. the 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 um, oh the the maid, the, the, maid. the servant. She, yeah, she's I a forget. pretty big part yeah, of it she too. Is. You're absolutely. Oh yes, very big. Yeah. If something happens to her, yeah. you're absolutely right. But uh, you don't think of these types of, of intimate dramas to be draped in such excellent cinematography. Yeah. Um, and this one really, really does. Well, and in a very different way, Emma is just as gorgeous to look at. Yeah. You know, but it's it's uh, this one, I mean, because so much of it takes place on these beaches and this mm-hmm. island and on the ocean, and there's so much outdoor as opposed to Emma, which is these very meticulous scenes. But both of them are gorgeous films, and and both of them deserve a big screen attention. Yeah, no doubt. That's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Next up is the new comedy from Michael Winterbottom and Steve Coogan. It's a satire about the world of the super rich called greed. Now time for the man you've all been waiting for. The king of the high street. You've been described as the unacceptable face of capitalism. I've done nothing wrong. We've been working on this party for over a year. He wants it to repair his reputation. It's all about image. The super yacht, the models. It's all part of a brand. How bad is it? You know one reads the mail online. It's cleavage clickbait. Yeah, except I'm the tit this time. And actually, that synopsis draws attention to one of the flaws about this film and calling it a satire, because I don't think it's it's totally successful as a satire. Satire is so good when it's right, yeah. it's so hard to get right. I remember when you, uh, as soon as you finished watching this, you're like, everybody who tries to make a satire needs to just watch Death of Stalin. <laughs> God, that was a great one. That was a great one. And and this one tries to do similar things with the, the, the aim of skewering the mm-hmm. super rich. And it certainly has the cast to do it with Steve Coogan at the top. He's great. 
uh, as this mogul, this fashion, retail fashion mogul in England. They call the Monet of money, uh, Sir Richard McCready. And he's a regular. He and he and Winterbottom work together a lot. Yeah, Michael Winterbottom has been either the writer and or director on all the Trip movies, yep. um, which are funny. But when you see those, you get the idea. Most of this is probably ad lib. Yeah, it does. It certainly <laughs> feels that way between Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. But uh, yeah, so he's the writer director on this one, and uh, Coogan's character is celebrating his 60th birthday. He's planning this lavish party uh, on the island of Gr- the coast of Greece themed uh, around the movie Gladiator. He's rebuilding, mm-hmm. a, he's building his own mini coliseum. He's brought in a live lion. He's paying for all this extravagant entertainment like Elton John and Coldplay. And, uh, but then, oh, but over oh, there's some Syrian refugees who are living on the public beach because they're allowed to do that, but they're spoiling the view, so they got to go. Mm. So things like that are often just so obvious. They're too obvious for a satire. I mean, there, there is humor. Steve Coogan is great, and he's, he's so good at being just a pompous a-hole. Yes, he right? is. He really is. Yeah, he's, he's great about it, even if it's just a one-off line or if he's screaming at somebody. And then his wife is played by Isla Fisher, who's always good. Yeah, especially in comedies. Their son is Asa Butterfield. Remember him? I do. From Hugo? Hugo. Yeah, he's all grown up. He's trying for a little facial hair and everything, (laughs) you know. And then Shirley Henderson plays his mother. She's great. So top to bottom, you've got a really good ensemble cast. And it does have some funny moments. It's centered around not only this party, but he has, uh, Sir Richard has an official biographer, uh, Nick played by David Mitchell. And that is the catalyst to look back into his past. We'll have some flashbacks as to when Sir Richard was a young man building his empire and things like that. And then the biography biographer talks to people around uh, Sir Richard's life to get a more view of how he is. So that's how you get the very familiar themes about the folly of the self-made man, Mm -hmm. the shady business deals that these people are often involved in. And how the rich are often insulated from the consequences of their wealth. It's very valid points, especially now, but it's pretty low-hanging fruit if you can't bring something something new to it. And well, it, especially, as you were saying at one point, they, they throw around the term parasite, which yeah. just draws, again, <laughs> draws your attention to what the film does and not yeah, manage to it's do. It's kind of, it's bad timing because someone does call him a parasite and right away, oh yeah, I've seen this class warfare done with so much better execution yeah. here. Uh, but there are laughs, especially when they're haggling over the price of some of these big name entertainers. That's funny. There's a there's a part where the biographer goes to talk to a financial writer, a financial correspondent about some of Sir Richard's deals and how he put them together and the writer tries to dumb it down so that we and the the uh, biographer can understand just how shady these are. And that's full of some real dry humor. So there's some real cleverness to be found here. But at the end, it just can't decide or either either he didn't either Winterbottom didn't have enough trust in himself or his audience to go full bore for a satire. Um, and it might have worked, but in the right. end, it becomes it becomes too obvious with these very familiar themes about the super rich. It doesn't it doesn't ruin it. I still think it's it's worth seeing if mm-hmm. you want to. But if you want to uh, ha- have a chuckle, mm-hmm. yeah, and just for Steve Coogan alone because he is very good, uh, especially in this type of role. But just doesn't quite get there. I think with what with what greed wanted to be, can't quite get there and hit the bullseye.
And lastly, a new feature film documentary about legendary New York Times photographer Bill Cunningham is called The Times of Bill Cunningham. A friend gave me a little camera. It's one of those flukes, you know. He said, here, it's an idiot box. And you almost couldn't get out of focus. And it was a revelation. You can't imagine. Bill Cunningham would become the most recognizable street and society photographer in the world. Suddenly, all the doors opened, and everything I'd known, I could record. Well, I never said I was a photographer. I think of myself as a fashion historian. That's what I'm interested in. And the camera is another instrument to record it. This is when Brandon Thomas did the review for this for us. And he yes, liked it. You can it. find that at madwolf.com. He liked it very much. And, and it's so funny because I remember maybe three or four years ago uh, reviewing another documentary about Bill Cunningham. And this one, I think, is, is maybe even more intimate. Because it started with what was supposed to be about a 10-minute interview. And then they just kept talking until the guy ran out of tape. I find that fascinating, yeah. But you can see that as you listen to Cunningham talk. He's, it's a little bit like we talked about Robbie Robertson at yeah. the band. He's just an engaging guy. Yeah, he really and is. And he's still, after all these years, he's got so much enthusiasm for what he did and how he fell into it that you just want to keep listening. And the other thing is that there's something so... Well, first of all, he's incredibly humble, and it's clearly very genuine. But the other thing is that there is something so unusual about the way he lives. It's like all of his energy, all of his energy is around looking at other people and snapping them, and you know, and what Fash is doing, and and the photos that he's taking. That his clothes, his own clothes, are all hand me downs. He lives in. I mean, everything that about him. Yeah. None of that is interesting to him. Because I remember that getting that from the first documentary right. that you just mentioned. Because he did start out as a fashion in the photographer in the fashion world, and then he just started taking to the streets, and he became one of the first, quote-unquote, street photographers, yeah. just snapping not only celebrities, maybe Barbara Streisand crossing right, right. the street mm-hmm. to New York, but just people. Mm-hmm. It, it makes total sense when you see how he lives, because his interest is outward, it's yeah, not inward. Not he doesn't care. No, not at all, and, it, and it, I think that's one of the reasons that he's such an engaging yeah. person, because he just has, he has fascinating observations to share, yeah. and of course he's met and talked with and photographed everybody in the world. Yeah, and has some great stories. Yeah. So, yeah, if that sounds like something that you'd be interested in, I think you would really appreciate the times of Bill Cunningham, if you can find it in your area. And that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Boy, we got a good one leading the lobby, leading home video releases this week. Queen and Slim. Great movie. Yes. Not exactly easy to watch at times. Yeah. But, uh, boy, it's a fantastic debut. The director is Melina Matsukas. And the writer, actually, was one of, we didn't mention her, she was one of the voices in Onward. Onward. Lena Waithe did the screenplay. And she's done acting while she was in... Um, Ready Player One. Ready Player One and some others. Yeah, this is a, it's, could be viewed a lot of different ways. A modern-day parable, a fable oh, about yeah. these queen and slim. They're on the run after a, a tragic shooting when uh, they're stopped. They're an African-American couple when they're stopped by a cop. And, uh, boy, it's really striking journey that Queen and Slim go on, and it has a lot to say, honestly, about being black in America. Yeah, it absolutely does. And Daniel Kaluuya, no surprise, he's absolutely amazing because he's just really one of the most versatile, versatile and talented actors working today. Jodie Turner-Smith, I was not familiar with. I guess she's done a lot of TV. I was not familiar with before seeing this film. And, first of all, she cuts a very impressive figure. She does. Uh-huh. She looks like, don't. 
fuck with me. <laughs> she looks like somebody who could who could outsmart you and kick your ass. But it's just a great performance as well. Very, very impressive. And there's a really, really uh, effective supporting performance by Bokeem Woodbine oh, as yes. Uncle Oral. He's very good. So, yeah, Queen and Slim, one of our favorites from last year. Look it up. Dark Waters. This is the one we actually got to spend some time with the inspiration for this movie. Lawyer Rob Bellot, mm-hmm. who actually brought down, got a major, major legal victory against DuPont. Yes. It is startling in the revelations. Uh, when when the movie was over, I thought to myself, I had no idea that this was this far-reaching. I uh, I do remember when uh, we all realized that DuPont was evil. I remember that, <laughs> but I don't. I didn't remember the specifics of this. And it stars Mark Ruffalo, who does a, just a wonderful job, as he always does. And it's set here in Ohio, primarily here in Ohio. I thought it was a very solid movie. Actually, also, uh, Anne Hathaway. Yes, in what could, in, in, in wife, lesser yeah. hands, could have been a throwaway role, but she's just so good. Yeah, it is It is effective, Dark Waters. One we just talked about last week, Disappearance at Clifton Hill, is also available this week on home video. Yeah, it's one, you know, very often uh, a movie will be out for a week and then go, these smaller movies. And so this one, if you didn't get a chance to see it, it's an interesting, kind of fascinating murder mystery sort of a thing that's happening in this tourist trap town off-season uh, in um, Niagara Falls. Very, very interesting film. And The Furies is out, which I don't think I remember. Well, it was one of our, our Shudder premieres, so we get, we, have oh. a, we get a chance to see Shudder movies before they open. And this one has another one Brandon Thomas reviewed for us, and it's an Australian sort of the hunt kind of an idea. It doesn't, it doesn't go everywhere we might have hoped that it would go. Mm-hmm. It's pretty mediocre, to be honest with you. But what isn't mediocre... Um, it's been out for a little while, but it's on Hulu right now. So if you have Hulu, do yourself a favor and watch Knives and Skin. Yes. Yes, we liked that one from last year. I know we talked about it when it first came out. Yep. Uh, from a, a filmmaker who's now based in Chicago, Jennifer yep. Reeder, yep. but she came up here. Uh, in fact, used to work at the Wexner Center here in Columbus. And... and- None other than Bong Joon-ho listed Jennifer Reeder as one of the 10 best filmmakers to watch, and he referred to her as unstoppable. I know. So we hope so. So, yeah, check that out. You just mentioned The Hunt. That leads a large group of new releases. So many. Next week. The Hunt, you may have heard about in the headlines. It got pushed back because of its subject matter. Well, now it's coming out. We see it, I believe, on Wednesday, Mm -hmm. and it comes out uh, next week. So, as well as Vin Diesel. Bloodshot. Looking forward to that. I'm lying. I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, My Spy. I'm having a hard time generating any interest in that one either. I still believe. Oh, my God, George. Come on now. Open minds. Open minds. Okay. St. Francis comes out next week. Oh, a couple we've already seen. Swallow with Haley Bennett. Yes. Finally. It seems like we've been waiting on this one for a while, too, because we saw it at Nightmares Film Festival. Months and months ago. Back in October. Yeah. Uh, that comes out next week. The Trader. Mm-hmm. I just watched a big mob epic. Uh, yeah. I'm not talking about The Irishman. It's not that long. <laughs> it's two and a half hours. This is another true story about uh, a guy from inside the Italian mob who um, decided to spill his beans. That comes out next week. Also, Wendy and Extraordinary. So, yeah, a lot. A oh. lot to cover next week. All right. So we'll get to that next week. But this week, what do you think? Onward, Emma, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, anything this week. We love to keep the conversation going. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the place where you can find all of our written reviews, uh, other fun stuff, and our other podcast, the horror movie-centric Fright Club. That's all right there at MadWolf.com. Thanks, as always, for stopping by the screening room. If you would just take a second to subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Yes, as always. So until next week... 
week. She's Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.